So let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you thought one thing only to learn later you were wrong? Anybody here? Ever? I mean, your belief about what you thought was true just turned out to be completely false. I was thinking about this in light of the scripture we're going to look at in a minute, and uh, I thought back when I was six years old, and uh, one of my younger sisters, Donna, who was four, had been having some minor issues, and we're not going to go into what they were, but the doctor prescribed one glass of prune juice every day. I know, I had to say it because it's part of the story. And um, one day, the first day, my dad is trying to coax her to drink this prune juice, and I, the caring older brother, six years old, thought, come on, Donna, it's not that big of a deal. I couldn't understand, why in the world did you want to drink this? Look, it looks just like grape juice. And she just kept, I'm not drinking that. I'm not drinking that. No, I can't. I don't want to drink that. So I finally said, I want to show you there is nothing to fear. I'm going to, I'll show you there's nothing to worry about. And I grabbed that glass and I drank a whole big gulp of that prune juice. (laughs) Thinking it was going to taste like grape juice. I blurted out this. You're right. This stuff is terrible. Don't drink it. Don't drink it. Run. I'm sure my father was grateful for the help. I was so, I was so sure that prune juice tasted like grape juice only to find out later. I was completely wrong to this day. It has never touched my lips again. Needless to say, what you think about things, what you believe about things, is critically important. And we should want to believe things that are true, amen? We should want to know that prune juice is disgusting, right? We need to know that. Some of you probably like it, but that's okay. Let me ask you this. Do you think you're a good person? you think you're a good person? If you think you are, then I guess I have a deeper question for you. What is it that you think makes you a good person? Because there's this scene over in Mark, the 10th chapter, where Jesus encounters this young man who has a question for him. The man wants to know if he is thinking correctly. I want to know if I've got this right when it comes to eternal life. And and who better to ask than who? (laughs) Jesus. So we're going to work our way through the story. Verse 17 says this, As he was setting out on a journey, talking of Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So that's his question. I want to make sure that I have eternal life in my future. And you need to understand a little bit of a background about this guy. Both Matthew and Luke, along with Mark, record this uh, encounter. So when we put all three of the presentations together, we know that this guy was rich. I mean, some would say he was filthy rich. 
she got it, yes. <laughs> we also know that he was a ruler of some kind. He was this man of authority. And by the world standards, this, made, this man had made it, right? He was not only wealthy, but he was prestigious in his community. And inside of this man, he must have sensed, though, something is still missing. Something I'm just not sure. A spiritual question. So we asked Jesus, what, do I, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I would say it's a pretty important question. When I die, I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. I don't want to, to be thinking wrong about this particular question. Jesus, as he is common to do, he begins his answer by avoiding the question. <laughs> because he wants to make a point rather than answer the question. He wants to lead the man on a theological journey. And so he says this in the 18th verse. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I mean, how many of you would agree with me? Jesus is really smart. <laughs> he is just so smart. He starts by establishing this fundamental theological premise by which we're going to have this conversation. And so this man can understand truth. No one is good except who? God and God alone. So he's saying a couple of things, perhaps. So, sir, are you calling me God? If so, then what I have to say brings authority with it. He could also be saying this to establish with the man, you are what? Not good. No matter what the evidence you think you're going to bring to me produces. So I'm going to ask you the question again. Are you a good person? You know, to be perfectly honest with you, how you answer that one question, not only about your goodness, but about the goodness of mankind, goes a long way in determining your entire worldview. You will filter everything through this premise, if I think man is good, then, well, perhaps Jesus is marginalized, God is marginalized, we have an innate goodness in and of ourselves. If I think, God, if, if I think man is not good, then I need intervention of a Savior. Jesus becomes extremely necessary. Now, people can do many good things, but that doesn't make them good. In fact, he says no one is good except two. God, so if you're ever going to be good, who are you going to need? God. But the good news is that when you turn and believe in Him, and you believe in Jesus for your salvation, all sin is forgiven, the penalty is completely removed, you are declared by God fully righteous, fully holy, and good. Your nature has been changed from that sinner into that saint that has been created in him because of his precious blood. Otherwise, you would not be qualified for heaven any other way. I want you to think of the man's question because it uh, betrays some of his heart. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, sir, you want to get yourself into heaven by what you do. 
I think Jesus had this thought, I'm just going to go along with that path. <laughs> I'm going to help him see what it takes to get into heaven on your own merit. So the conversation continues, the 19th and the 20th verse. You know the commandments, Jesus speaking. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And what does the man say? Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth up. Amen, right? This guy is pretty stoked at this moment because he believes he has accomplished all of this. He's telling Jesus, I am good. <laughs> Do you hear what he is saying? He's saying he has never lied. Ever. He is saying he's never cheated. Ever. He's saying he's never stolen. Ever. Do we have any saints like that today here? I want to say, really? And it makes me think of this. You know, people have an amazing ability for self-deception. Would you agree with that statement? People, well, let's just make it we, do this in a variety of ways. Oh, sometimes we think this little sin isn't going to hurt anybody. It's not hurting anybody. Nobody's going to know anyway. Sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking like the man, that we're better than we really are. Others feed into that. Others might tell us, you know, you're pretty smart, you're pretty good looking, you've got a lot going for you. And, you know, we can kind of tend to agree with that, right? <laughs> we're just not thinking truthfully we're believing what we want to believe rather than what is true. Sometimes we just have to admit today that people, we, sometimes have stinking thinking. <laughs> right? This guy had some stinking thinking. He, he thought his religious routine of following these rules was exemplary and impressive to God. And Jesus now drills deeper. Verse 21, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. This is important. Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Get this, Jesus loves him so much that he tells him to get rid of all of his stuff and give it to the poor. Isn't that a great expression of love? <laughs> Jesus says, I want you to get rid of every bit of it. I want you left with zero, nada, zilcho. I don't want you to have anything left then come, you're welcome, just follow me. I see we, I hope we see what's happening here. The man wants to use his own merit, his good behavior to access that which is eternal, the life eternally. 
He wants to think he is qualified for heaven because of this perceived ability to, to act good. Jesus is exposing, as he delves deeper into the man's heart, his selfishness. Sir, you lack the credentials for heaven. And he does this because he loves him. And it says the man leaves, his heart filled with grief. I want to say today, how many people today tell themselves, try hard to be good? Try hard to be good. Anybody ever tried that path of righteousness? I'm going to try hard to be good. And I want God to accept me into heaven. I want Him to look at my behavior. I've tried hard to do nice things for people, more nice things than bad things. And... But here's the problem. People have to be perfect to earn heaven. How does that make you feel? People have to be perfect to earn heaven. And the point of this passage, folks, is often missed when it's taught. Many read this verse and conclude, if I've got to follow Jesus, I've got to forsake everything, I've got to get rid of all my wealth, I've got to... Please understand, Jesus is not telling us how to be saved. He's not showing us the path to salvation here. Because if He was, how come in all of His other presentations of salvation, He doesn't mention you've got to go sell and give to poor? And If that were a requirement, it would be always included, because that's not what is happening here. Jesus is showing the man how impossible it is to get to heaven based upon your own merit. I want you to know, I truly believe that if the man had said, albeit reluctantly, okay, I'll go sell everything. I'll give it to those the poor people. They don't deserve it. I don't think this is a very good idea. But that's the requirement for eternal life. All right, I'll do it. I mean, I really believe if he had done that, Jesus would have drilled down further. He would have said something like this, well, in order to make sure you never look at a woman in lust, I want you to go ahead and pluck your eyes out. <laughs> he might say, in case you ever attempted to steal, I want you to cut off your hands. You know, he said that in Matthew 5. He's showing them you can't do enough. You can't harm yourself enough. There is no way you have what it takes to earn heaven. And if you are using a self-justification method for your entrance to heaven, you're going to have to try hard. You're going to have to do some pretty drastic things. And even then, you are going to slip up at some point and access denied. Because no sin is getting into heaven. So the man's gone. And a debriefing session with the disciples occurs. Jesus knows when is an optimal time to have a teaching session with his followers. 
Look at what he says, verse 23. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, how hard do you think it would be to shove a camel through the eye of a needle? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of theological gymnastics in my day in regards to this verse. Well, I didn't really mean an eye of a needle. I think he did, when you take it in context. Jesus is saying here, this is impossible. His disciples listening to him, they would have had no trouble understanding what he is saying. This is impossible. You can't push a camel through the eye of a needle just as much as it's impossible for anybody to get into heaven on their own merit, their own wealth, their own position, their own standing, their own good behavior. I thought of this. Picture yourself as an excellent swimmer. You have won awards, and everyone sees you as a champion swimmer. I can use no personal illustrations with swimming, let me tell you that. You're not only fast, but you have endurance unmatched by anyone you know. You believe so much in your ability to swim. You believe there is no body of water you can't swim through. Someone challenges you to swim just the 21-mile crossing of the English Channel. You know you can do it. No problem. You start across. Oh, a storm comes, pushes you out. All you see around you is water. You've lost your sense of direction. What do you have to admit? You need help. The rich young ruler, he didn't want help because he thought he had it what it takes. He had wealth, authority, good behavior, everything the world says. You're a good person. Yet he didn't have what it takes to enter heaven. He didn't have what it takes for eternal life. And neither will we on our own. Trying to save yourself is a lousy way to live, folks. I'm just here to tell you. Trying to save yourself, earning heaven, trying hard to be good and not bad, trying all of that, working really diligently at it is a lousy way to live. Because you're never going to get to heaven that way. Look how the conversation between Jesus and the disciples comes to a close. The disciples, they were even more astonished and they're at their wit's end and said to them, who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, and here's the key verse, with people, remember the question is who can be saved? With people, it is what? impossible oh but not with God for all things are possible with God I say amen to that 
Only God can save you. How many of you have difficulty asking for help? I mean, what's one of the first things toddlers, little babies, learn how to say? They, after you learn how to say no and mine, those are the two first ones all the time. But in watching my three grandkids grow up, I know that the, the third phrase was always, I can do it. I do it. I, you don't need to feed me anymore. I do it. We grow up with this, I can do it. What I do matters. I am significant. My efforts are worthy. God, you should be happy that I am behaving so well for you. We desperately want to believe that we have what it takes. But you can't save yourself. And I will say, even after you become a Christian, you, I mean you, still can't. We always need Jesus. We always need grace. No, 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 no. I'm going to shove this big camel through this little hole. I can do it. My efforts have value. Look, God, how obedient I am to your Ten Commandments. We scream for self-validation. Jesus, because He loves us, Sometimes will show us the folly of that method and how much we need him. <laughs> I thought about this. Imagine the rich young ruler there the day that Jesus welcomed blind, begging Bartimaeus into the kingdom of God. Can you see the rich young ruler seeing the master go over and say, Bartimaeus, you can, now you're blind, now you can see and welcome into my kingdom and the rich young ruler. Him? Not me, but him? I mean, how many of us struggle with the whole idea of grace? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll grant you, most people do. They just struggle with it. I mean, don't you love it when God shows grace to a serial killer? <laughs> Isn't that great? Aren't you thrilled that God might show grace to somebody who has harmed you? I mean, do you have a problem with grace? Here's my point. Grace is unfair. It's unjust. And it's just not the way things are supposed to be. I mean, what if you uh, saw someone stealing something and turned them in because you're a good citizen? You attend their trial, and it's blatantly clear through the evidence. They are guilty. Everybody in the room knows they're guilty. They know they're guilty. And the judge says, you know, I'm going to show this obvious thief today grace. All charges dropped. I'm going to declare him innocent right here on the spot. What are you who turned him in going to say? No! It's not what? Fair! It's not fair! We just have to understand grace violates our whole notion of justice. 
People deserve what they get when they fail, when they break the laws of God. Evil, it must be punished or they will never learn. Grace is inconceivable to us. You can't just let people off the hook. <laughs> but that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Amen? <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not getting what I deserve. God has shown me so much grace. He's... Here's something else we need to remember. Grace. It's Jesus. You know, Satan, he wants to get your eyes off of Jesus. Uh, Michael Wells' famous quote says, Satan steals faith by stealing our focus. Satan steals faith by stealing our focus. And then I, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. See if you relate to this. He says, Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and, guilt and virtue. <laughs> you know, how many people come into the faith thinking, now I've got to act right. <laughs> I've got to give up all those bad friends. I've got to change my ways. I gotta, you know. We enter the faith sometimes on the law of plan. We think it's all about our behavior. But then he says, yet it leads you on, out of all that, into something else. And he describes it this way. He says, One has a glimpse of a country where they do not talk of those things, except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness as a mirror is filled with light. But get this. But they don't call it goodness. They don't call it anything because they're not even thinking of it. They're too busy looking at the source from which it comes. They're not even focused on their behavior. They're not focused on how much... Aren't we nice people here? <laughs> Aren't we good? Aren't we so kind to one another? Oh, there's Jesus. Jesus is sheer beauty. He captures our attention so that we aren't thinking about our behavior and whether our obedience is up to snuff or how we're doing spiritually. We are simply smitten with Him. And, oh yes, there is goodness pouring through our lives. It's meeting people's needs. It's serving the hurting. It's changing the world. It's reaching the lost. Oh yeah, there's a lot of goodness. <laughs> but He has captured our focus. Do you need a Savior today? I mean, you might be facing something you can't fix. Turn your eyes to Jesus, and you may be facing something that's painful or discouraging. Turn your eyes to Jesus, and you may be facing something that strikes fear into your heart. Turn your eyes to Jesus. You turn away from this fear and this hopelessness and this world mentality and this Become too busy, folks, looking at him. Become so preoccupied. You don't even notice the goodness that's bringing strength and beauty and power into your life. That's what he does. He will save you.
Bow your heads with me. Father, no doubt in this congregation today are those who have not taken a step of faith to believe in you, and uh, they thought Christianity was a religion. A religion that says, do this and don't do that, and do this and don't do that, and if I live by the rules of the religion, then I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm in. Father, I pray today through the inability of this rich young ruler to find eternal life, that they would be exposed to the inability that they have. They need help from you, as we all do. They need to come to the end of themselves and just say, Father, I'm turning to you and I'm going to place my belief in you for my salvation today and I'm giving up the self-effort path. I'm going to give up self-righteousness as validation. I'm going to find my life hidden in you by your grace. I know I don't deserve it, Lord. I know that my behavior, my track record says I don't deserve this, and, but that's the point, isn't it? You give it to all of us that don't deserve it. Not only that, you lavish it on us. You pour it out into streams of grace and mercy for us. And Father, no doubt there are Christians here today who are... Uh, they know... They know that they can't get into heaven without you. They, they've experienced the reality of total and complete submission and dependence on you, and yet the, something's occurred, and they're wrapped up in trying to fix a problem, or they're wrapped up in trying to handle a situation or restore a relationship. And They're here today, Father. They just need to again come and say, I can't. He can. I'll let him. I'll just let him. He's the Savior. He's the one who rescues. He's the one who delivers. He is the great encourager of the faith. He is the great perfecter of my faith. I choose today, I choose today to trust him with this. I trust him. I trust him. <laughs> 